Hello, and welcome to this episode of Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I am Spro, one of your hosts, and I'm just here to say that if you do not know who Ben Affleck ends up with at the end of Forces of Nature, whether it be Sandra Bullock or Maura Tyranny, please stop listening now. Go watch this fantastic film and come back and listen to our episode on it. We do not censor our speech. We will swear. We have a special guest star, Lee Charles. He swears. It's all fun and games, so make sure the kitties are not around if they have not been subjected to rated R movies and rated R language. Finally, please stick around after the show for a special sneak peek of a new podcast that I hosted during the shutdown. As always, we appreciate you, dear listener, and we hope you're having a fantastic day. And this episode is just the cherry on top. Well, there's one quote that pretty much sums it up. It's from a bishop in the 16th century. He said, Marriage has less beauty, but more safety than a single life. It's full of sorrows and full of joys. It lies under more burdens, but it is supported by all the strengths of love. And those burdens are delightful. What happens when you take a plucky Sandra Bullock character, team her with an earnest, good-hearted Ben Affleck, and put them on a cross-country journey a la planes, trains, and automobiles with a hint of speed, a dash of Armageddon, and all these other excellent movie tropes that make for a rather unpredictable romantic comedy? That's the question we seek to answer here on this episode of Second Chance Cinema. My name is MC. I'm joined, uh, as always, by my handsome co-host, Spro. Spro, how are you? I'm doing very well, very well. I'm I'm happy to be back with you and everybody out there. And uh, we've got a special guest today who's been on the show before and whose opinions are revered by both of our listeners. And that is Mr. Lee Charles. Lee, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to be here. Good. So the movie we're talking about is called Forces of Nature. And I'll admit, when I was watching this halfway through, I texted Spro and I said, man, Lee picked some really weird movies. And then Spro informed me, wait, no, I picked that. Apparently, it's been on our list of movies since the beginning. So Spro, tell me exactly why this has been on our list for so long. I just went back to the list and looked at it. We have about a two-page list of movies that we need to discuss. And I have loved it since since 1999. Huge crush on Sandra Bullock. I'm a big fan of Ben Affleck. It's got Steve Zahn in it, which I don't know if you remember when we were talking at Applebee's about a podcast to create, I was thinking, why don't we do a Steve Zahn appreciation podcast oh, and yeah. then try and get him to notice us? Because that would be amazing. I always say if the US government was as dependable as Steve Zahn is turning in great performances, we would be in much better shape as a country. That's line in uh, that thing you do. Which one? When he asks the one guy to be the drummer. And he's like, well, I thought Richard was your drummer. And he's like, stupid son of a bitch just broke his arm. (laughs) Steve Zahn, he's a chameleon. He's capable of serious roles, of ridiculous roles like Saving Silverman that I remember we discussed. And he's one of those actors that you're just like, yeah, that guy's pretty awesome. Not on like he's going to win an Oscar level, although maybe, who knows. But I feel like when you see him in a movie, you're put at ease. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely I agree with all of that. Yeah. So this was on our list and we've had several great guest stars. We have Lee Charles, we had Rudy, we had Jeremy. And so when it came down to doing a show with Lee Charles again, I gave him the list and said, you know, pick one out. We'll discuss why at the end of the show. But he picked Forces of Nature and I couldn't be more excited because when I popped this movie on last night, man, I fell in love with it all over again. So that, okay. So I wasn't completely wrong when I thought that he had a hand in in choosing this. It was a sort of a group effort, though. We teamed it. Okay, got it. All right. Before we get into the discussion, let's let's go ahead and resurrect our greatest tradition here, which is the Wheel of Poetry. We're going to play the trailer for this movie, Forces of Nature. And while we do, we're going to each write verbal homage to this movie in the form of... One of the following structures, song parody, toast slash roast, ABAB poem, limerick, or our old school first ever uh, episode haiku. So the wheel is completely random. Uh, We're going to play the trailer for Forces of Nature. You said this was 1999, right? Correct. Watching it last night. I'd never seen it before. I watched it for the first time last night. That puts a lot of things in a good frame of reference, knowing that it was 1999, right on the heels of Y2K, all the uh, the TRL generation, that whole thing makes a lot of sense. So we're going to play the trailer and uh, I'm going to spin the wheel right now to see what we get. such tension at the end of that wheel. We've landed on Limerick, all right? So we're going to write a Limerick. And for those of you listening at home, Limerick is uh, the classic, there once was a man from Nantucket, and then the rhyming goes on from there. So we're going to play the trailer for Forces of Nature, and we will be back with some poetic excellence. Ben Holmes was about to get married. I love you more. No, I love you more. Okay, I have to go because I just made another passenger nauseous. But on the way to his wedding... Yeah, baby. Something happened. Uh, 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 My God, that's Ben! What? Oh, Ben, I love you. Call me. Hi, honey. Yeah, I'm fine. No, I'm... I'm a... You are a god. Mm. It's just one of the other passengers from the flight. No, nothing's wrong. He saved my life. Uh, Tell you what, I'll get a rental car. No cars. You should have called as soon as you got off the plane. Oh, why didn't I think of that when I was unconscious and bleeding from the head? This is Vic. He's going to give us a ride. Two wayward travelers stuck in a jail with a guy named Vic. Suspect is Victor Franco. Three priors for possession. Hi, honey. How the bridesmaids' dresses come out? Honey, I, I can't do this right now. Could it take two days to get from New York to Savannah? I don't understand the idea of living with just one person for the rest of my life. I mean, life is supposed to be a ride, right? I'm sorry about the collect call. On the way down here, I met this woman. Oh, Ben, you idiot. You let him talk. What woman, you idiot? She's completely uh, different than anyone I've ever met. Oh, please. They always are. DreamWorks Pictures presents. I haven't known you that long, but I think something may be wrong with you. A story about the paths we follow. We have no money. We have no transportation. If somebody went into this place right here and... You're saying we just go in and strip dance. I'm not interested. Guarantee you a really good show. How much for you to dance? Excuse me? The detours we take. Where are you? And the choices we make along the way. 
I'm getting married tomorrow. I have non-refundable tickets to Hawaii, and I cannot make myself leave this room. Sandra Bullock, Ben Affleck. I'll be down there as soon as I possibly can, barring any further disaster. Forces of nature. I'm really sorry about that, that kissing thing. I'd known you were getting married. I never would have made it open mouth. All right, that was the trailer for Forces of Nature. We've got three. What prizes do they give out for poems? Is that probably not a Pulitzer, maybe the Caldecott Award or like the Presidential Physical Fitness Award? Anyway, all of these poems are going to be contenders for any of those awards. Who wants to go first? Uh, Well, we always make the guest go last. Okay. Bro, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first because is it so like you started with like a limerick is there once was a man Nantucket. Like Mm -hmm. when you say that, I can't get that line out of my head. So I think I'm always going to start a limerick with there once was a man. Oh, that's that's what I did. So go ahead. Okay. I was I wondered if that was like mailing it in. But if not, if you if the master does it, then I feel better. There once was a man named Ben who wanted to marry his best friend. Going to Savannah, he met Sarah, who taught him he felt more than one emotion. <laughs> man, uh, you, you are like Marshall Mathers himself stretching those rhymes. <laughs> I have to be honest. All right, here's mine. There once was a bride in Savannah. Her fiance was going bananas. He tried to get home through the country he roamed. Great cameo from Seinfeld's Kenny Banya. Nice. <laughs> I, too, built my poem on a single word that I wanted to be at the end. (laughs) Sandra and Ben running free, the eastern U.S. they did see. Through raindrops they ran and completed their plan, and Vic got in trouble for weed. (laughs) Okay, nice. So wait, so did you, did because I started with Kenny Banya and worked backwards. So did you do the same thing? Oh yeah, I wanted to, I wanted the last line to be, have nothing to do with the other four lines. And I wanted to reference Vic because I, <laughs> I love that guy. Okay. All right. Forces of nature. So like I said, I'd never seen this until last night and midway through, I'm thinking to myself, like I was genuinely wondering, is this going to be formulaic where he ends up with the free spirited, wild and crazy Sandra Bullock or does he stay faithful and go back to the woman he's pledged his life to the whole time I'm watching it the aesthetic of this movie was absolutely not like a traditional rom-com especially from like the 90s and early 2000s I felt there were elements like and it was a lot during like scenes of like storms and at night when they were on the streets and stuff like that I felt a lot of there were like lightning strikes that reminded me of like Jerry Bruckheimer shit and stuff like that that kind of kept me engaged And I think it's because it was not it didn't seem like a traditional like, oh, let's go apple picking and pumpkin picking and blah, 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 rom-com. It was it was this this just like very random set of events. So you think it would have been cliche if he and Sandra had ended up together? You thought that was the predictable ending? I thought it was and I thought it wasn't. I thought it was because I've seen that story a million times. But the variable that that movie that this movie didn't have was the fact that Maura Tierney was a likable character. Usually it seems like it seems like the fiance or, you know, whether it's the bride or the groom is unlikable. And I'm thinking of like Wedding Crashers, you know, where it was Bradley Cooper and he was a dick. But Owen Wilson was like the free spirit. Wow. You know, like nice guy or whatever. And that's what confused me. That's what made me wonder, like, how is this going to play out? Because Maura Tierney was like 
she was going through maybe not as much strife, but she was, you felt for her the whole time. Yeah, like, yeah. You felt empathetic for her because she was, she was going through obviously the uncertainty of Ben Affleck not being able to make it for the wedding, but also there are little twists where it's revealed that her parents have split up, but haven't told her. There's a hurricane brewing in the place that they're supposed to get married, which boy, talk about a great metaphor for this movie. I thought that was so like when I saw that in the, like I saw this in the theater and I I remember being like, that is so, that's such amazing filmmaking. So deep, so deep. I'm 14 and this is deep. You weren't 14. You were like 17. 17 year old Lee Charles was like, oh, this is the pinnacle of filmmaking. So my point was, though, that nobody was really cast as a villain in this movie, I don't think, except maybe the douchey guy that tries to hook up with Maura Tierney. But he was just I mean, he was scenery for the most part. But no one was really characterized as someone you wanted to root against. Like you almost wanted to root for all of them. You wanted there to be a resolution where it was like, oh, I hope they all three get married and have and are really good friends. And so that's what, you know, up until the last scene where he actually arrives at the wedding, I was like, I, I kind of do wonder how this is going to play out. Well, one, I just want to emphasize that you made a great point that this is like one of those movies that you never really see before because they always cast a person that you just can't connect with as the person that might be jilted in the end. And even like more Tierney's name in this is Bridget, which I feel I don't want to like dismay much Bridget's out there, but Bridget doesn't seem like the name that you're going to give a character that you want to root for. So I wonder if the casting director or the director who is Bronwyn Hughes, I think Lee Charles pointed out it might be our first female director that we're talking about on this show, that they cast Maura Tierney, who is just so soft and so lovable in this. And the chemistry she has with Ben Affleck at the beginning and the end is just on point that this is one of the reasons why this movie, I think, is different and also maybe one of the reasons why the critics turned on it because usually on second chance cinema we find the movies that are genre bending so a lot of the times like this came out as a comedy not necessarily a romantic comedy and the critics were like well it wasn't funny enough to be a comedy and that's kind of why they panned it when it's more of a romantic journey but the other note that i have here is that it's kind of the anti when harry met sally because in when harry met sally rob reiner put in scenes of and i still don't know if they were real couples or just actors but scenes of people telling you why they got together and how they ended up together in the end, painting this wonderful portrait of meeting the one. And this one does the exact opposite. You have Ben Affleck going down to get married and everybody he runs into is telling you why marriage is uh, not the greatest thing, putting doubt into his head, making you believe that in the end he's going to get with Sandra Bullock, the person that makes him free spirited and everything. And then in the end he realizes, no, it's not all about, and Sandra Bullock helps him, says like, you know me for two days, don't get ahead of yourself. And in the end he goes, no, no, no. His last speech is all about how marriage is a security and you got to find the one that's going to make you most secure in life, even if there's a storm coming. I, I, I admit the metaphor is right on the nose, but I love it. So the critics panned this because it was it like towed the line between being a romantic movie and a comedy and it couldn't decide. I almost looked at it as like a quest narrative because the whole time he's 
you know, it wasn't, he wasn't seeking an object like the, you know, Ark of the Covenant or whatever, but he was seeking a point on the map very specifically and kept obstacles, kept getting thrown in his way to the point where I feel like, you know, he's going to make it there, but then you're like, what condition is he going to be in when he does and what's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to talk about that metaphor one more time. It is on the nose, but I was just going to say it's so pretty. There's nothing like, you know, coming from Ohio originally. There's just nothing. I mean, I know a storm in Ohio is a little different than the outskirts of a hurricane, but I've seen storms blowing off off the lake that that move the trees around like that. And it's pretty cool that everything they do that. I can't remember the cinematographer's name, but Bronwyn's worked with him several times throughout her career, and that effect that he uses twice when they're running in between the raindrops and the raindrops are moving super slow and they're moving at regular speed. And then the whole time they're having that discussion at the resolution of the film, everybody's kind of running in slow motion for, for cover and, and shit's flying through the air and napkins and fucking tablecloths and everything. It's all flying through the air in slow motion while they're talking in, in regular motion. <laughs> it, it is on the nose, but I still, that's, that's my favorite. I mean, it's worth watching the movie just to see that. Well, kind of a heavy handed metaphor. I would say the star of the movie was the hurricane there at the end. So Spro, you mentioned it, that throughout this whole movie, what starts as him trying to earnestly get back, I think from New York City to Savannah, Georgia for his wedding, uh, welcomes a catastrophe of the plane engine blowing out, the plane skidding on the runway, all of a sudden... He's got no way to get there. They go by train. They go by car. They go, you know, again, it's sort of a planes, trains and automobiles thing. But the whole time he meets, he runs into these random people, starting with Kenny Banya on the plane, who basically just trash talk the institution of marriage. And on the surface, that seems like a gimmick, like a novelty. Okay, he's going to meet these people throughout the movie and each one of them is going to tell why marriage is terrible and why he shouldn't take the plunge. But I tried to think of a movie that's eked into that territory before and I couldn't. So unless you guys can think of one, I thought that that was actually really kind of an interesting progression. Yeah, no, I don't know. And that might be, you know, something that happily married critics also kind of looked at and was like, this is just shitting on matrimony. But yeah, no, I can't think of another one that doesn't like hail the happy ending, which this one says is is not real. Right. You feel like a lot of the, 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 the background characters, even the ones that do like say, oh, we're so happy together and you're such a lucky boy. Then it turns out, and I'm thinking of the old couple, I think it was on the train. It turns out that they're both married and having an affair. And they're like, we've never been happier than when, when we're not with our husband and wife, respectively. And Bridget's parents are separated. Right. And it was a lot of just like, it was a lot of red herrings throughout the movie that sort of pointed you in this direction to when the resolution came, like I said before, I was genuinely wondering. And I I don't know if I would have been disappointed one way or the other, because the film made a case, I suppose, for... I I was definitely rooting for more tyranny, to be honest, because... The Sandra Bullock character to me seemed sort of cliche, like, oh, she's a free spirit. She's wild. She she lays down on the floor in Kmart. Wow. Like all that bullshit to me was just like a little bit more annoying than than the more returning character. But, you know, in the end, they there were a couple of dialogues between Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock that were really kind of like revelatory. And I'm thinking of specifically when they get into the fight in the hotel room. You know, and he basically calls out her insecurities. She calls out his insecurities. There were moments of like, huh, this is an interesting dynamic. Just as an aside, I'm just curious. I mean, we've all 
taken that plunge. And I, I never had that moment where I thought to myself, holy shit, I'm only going to be with one woman for the rest of my life. My single life is over. My single life was undistinguished. I wasn't saying goodbye to anything that I was, anything worth missing. But I remember I worked with a good mix of men and women, pretty close to my age, some a lot older, but a lot of them close to my age. And and the women were very, you know, they nurtured, you know, they were like, so what are you guys going to do? And we were like, t- I was telling them, what we were doing for our wedding. And they were doing that shit. And then all of the guys chimed in. All of them, literally. It was about five dudes that I worked with. And they were all like, yeah, enjoy it, bro. Because uh, once you're married, that whole cliche thing that it gets old and that, you know, your wife is going to turn into a shrew. And and they all knew my fiance. We all worked together. And I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. And I've had that conversation with other married people. And, you know, I mean, my 10 year wedding anniversary is uh, this October and that that moment hasn't come. Congrats, man. Yeah, well, that's solid. I mean, the, the truth of the whole thing is that, and maybe this is just me because I am, I have very little self-control, the attractive forces of the opposite sex, that shit doesn't go away. And I was wrestling with whether or not I was going <laughs> to say that. But yeah, that shit never goes away. And to your point that like, well, obviously you choose Bridget over Sarah, but it's the Sarah that's alluring. It's the annoying, you know, you find yourself attracted to women and you're like, my wife is 10 times better looking than this woman. Why do I want? And I, I don't know. I guess it's just biological. So for me, my first year anniversary is coming up next month. And I remember. Congrats, man. Thank you. The, um. The whole thing about leaving the single life behind, I, not to brag, but you know, I cleaned up in college, so I'm good. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I've got nothing. I feel like I, I can retire or whatever you want to call it. But the doubt factor definitely came into play when we were planning the wedding because, and, and my wife, I just heard her talking about this. It brought out the absolute worst in both of us. And I think part of that had to do with the fact that we were engaged for quite a while. So the wedding planning was drawn out and then it just became this like, I don't know, this like tete-a-tete of just really meaningless things that we would get into arguments over. And, you know, that point I was just kind of like, it was, it wasn't a doubt about the person. It was just a like, what is this doing? And is it going to be like this forever? And thankfully it hasn't been. And, you know, hearing it from people while it's going on, like I remember hearing horror stories of wedding planning and I don't know that we were ever like, oh, that's not going to be us or, or, you know, anything that arrogant, but I don't think you ever really, I, I think every experience is unique. So the horribly unique things about our wedding planning experience definitely messed with my head during that time. That said, it's it's uh, coming up on one year. And I think the fact that we were able to recognize that we both turned into people that we don't want to be for the rest of our lives definitely sort of, you know, closed a chapter. And that's why I thought, again, this movie was so interesting because you don't see the, the heavy handedness of the, hey, don't get married. Usually, like you said, it's kind of the bros in the movie who are like, oh, you're going to you're only going to sleep with one chick for the rest of your life. Oh, you know, like that's usually I feel like that's usually the gimmick. But this was coming from all over the board. It was an older couple. There was a, a husband on the plane. You just hear like all these doubters trying to convince him not to take the plunge. And I think the variety of characters who did that was what I would say kept me entertained. Love and faith in love 
defeat cynicism, right? I just want to say that I, I just celebrated my one year of being divorced. <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Congratulations. Congratulations, man. Thanks, guys. It looks, <laughs> Honestly, you, you deserve it. It looks great on you. It really does. <laughs> you do something nice for you and you. Yeah, I did. I made smarts. But while we're talking about marriage and everything like that, I looked for the quote and I looked for the the scene. And really, I'm going to be scraping the barrel to try and find scenes to, to plug in for this episode. But... Sandra Bullock has some, I think, really good marriage advice that she whispers to Ben, which is weird also that they kept Ben's name as Ben when they casted Ben Affleck. I want to say that. There was obvious a choice there because I'm pretty sure somebody said, well, my name's Ben. Can I be John or something like that? But so Sarah whispers in Ben's ear. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Marriage. Wasn't his name Ben Holmes? Is that why you said John? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. I guess, I guess Freud was right. Go on. So this is the marriage advice. And I'm, because you two have stayed happily married, figured I would reiterate it to you and then to any of our listeners out there. Never forget her birthday. Make a really, really big deal out of it was number one. Two, after sex, hold her for a little while. You know, talk to her like a human being. Three, do not wear your socks to bed. No socks to bed because you might not be all that attractive to begin with. Four, always, always side with her in an argument with your mother. Five, listen to her like you mean it. Six, supportiveness is a really, really sexy turn on. Seven, never, ever hit. And eight, no matter what annoying habits she has, just realize that she's dealing with a huge mountain of imperfections every day. So you might just want to let it go. And that's it. That's that's Sarah's Sarah's hints for a happy marriage. I Written mean, by a man. Directed by a woman. <laughs> it's wow. all inclusive. Wow, that was like the Dodge Perry, Dodge Perry uppercut. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm saying is that I don't understand the idea of living with just one person for the rest of my life. I mean, how do you make a choice like that? That's like choosing what you're going to wear in 25 years. And if things work that way, everyone would still be wearing hot pants. Hey, Dick. I never wore hot pants, so there goes your whole argument. Hey, life is supposed to be a ride, right? What, you want to be on your deathbed saying I played by all the rules or I lived? Because I, I lived. I loved. I, I fought. I broke hearts. I screamed. I... I, I bled. I guess thinking like that can explain your hostility toward marriage. I don't have hostility towards marriage. I just have hostility towards my husband. You're married? Yep. Twice, actually. You saw him. I was kissing him at the airport. The one thing that made me roll my eyes that she said, she said something like getting married. That's like saying, I know what I'm going to wear. I'm going to pick out to wear in 25 years. And she's implying that like, you're going to stay with the same person for 25 years. And the way she said it and the, the scene and the dialogue surrounding it, really doesn't take it into account the fact that as human beings, we grow and evolve and adapt and change, hopefully for the better. And I think that that thought provoking examination of marriage and love, like that just seemed very, very basic of a, of a line and of a, of a thought. And as soon as she said it, I was like, yeah, but wait a minute, you're, you're saying that you're going to be the same person you are now 25 years from now. And that's just not true. You know, the, hopefully the good parts of you, the kindness, compassion and all that will stay and will grow. But I like to think that in that amount of time, you're able to kind of polish yourself into a better version of the person that you uh, are when you walk down the aisle. That's something she didn't understand because she'd been married and divorced and not happily, obviously. She couldn't right. get away. Who, who was that guy? What what he, actor was I looked, I looked him. Oh, my gosh. He was the lead singer of a, a punk band. What punk band? It's called X. 
It's a stupid name. <laughs> I know. So, do you remember what his stage name was, Lee Charles? Uh, was it John Holmes? No. <laughs> It was John Doe. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. You're right. John Doe was his stage name. His act or his real name was John Nominson Dukak. What? The f- I would have gone with Dukak. That sounds like a, that sounds like you just read one of the captures that makes you prove you're not a robot when you sign into a website. <laughs> that's ridiculous. But he was that guy was like, who did he reminded me of? Who's the guy from? Um, was it Dwight Yoakam in Sling Blade? Who's like, yes. like, and I don't know why I'm saying that because Dwight Yoakam didn't have like a, hand, a Fu Manchu and bleach blonde hair, but for some reason, like that level of like weird trashiness, especially when he he pulls up in his it wasn't a Camaro, but it was like a Camaro, and he and Ben Affleck's about to hear the story of you know her losing her son and all that, and he's all like, yeah, go ahead, tell him, tell him why you. Don't have a son it was just like man that guy was a piece of shit yeah he reminded me of uh the guy that shoots uncle ben in the first spider-man the toby Maguire yeah, spider-man that's, that's fair that's i mean any bleach blonde douchebag really you know <laughs> could be sugar ray I think my point was that despite the fact that spro wants to exalt her uh her maxims for for marriage that may have been insightful but she's full of dumb I mean, she says plenty of dumb shit. That's part of the thing that I found interesting was that she's she's fallible. Like these whimsical characters that, you know, like they, they almost pop present themselves in like this mystical aura to go back to Wedding Crashers. Like Owen Wilson pops up in Rachel McAd- McAdams's life as this like the complete opposite of her fiance. And it's almost like she didn't know that these these parts of life existed, this happy-go-lucky bullshit and all that. And Sandra Bullock's the same way. She pops up and she's got she's got an answer for everything Ben Affleck says. And she's got a one-up, you know, everything he tells her and all that. But then they get to the point later in the movie where you find out kind of what a fuck-up she is. And that makes mm-hmm. you sort of backtrack through the movie. Like, do you still believe some of the stuff that you thought was really insightful, knowing that it came from a person who's now been presented as, as fallible and messed up? And the way they did that, it was an internal and an intrinsic fault of hers. It wasn't something as simple as like when Owen Wilson's character was caught lying that he's, you know, a friend of the family or whatever that was. It was like that was like a deep cut for the Sandra Bullock character. Well, and she plays it so well. This is one of my favorite Sandra Bullock performances and only because of the moments that she doesn't have lines that she's just standing there reacting, which is another thing that I really like about this movie is that there are a lot of long shots where she just lets two actors perform. And like the other time is in the swimming pool when Ben Affleck is trying to lie his way out after just being busted by the maid of honor and the best man. And Sandra Bullock is just sitting there and she looks cold and she's got her arms folded in her lap underneath the water. And she's just listening to Ben Affleck say like, I don't even really know this girl. I guess she was like on the bus and you could just see how hurt she's getting and with no lines whatsoever. It is just amazing. And then the other, the old guy from the bus comes out and says, can I have another dance? And she just immediately like beams and finds her escape and is able to get out. Like the little nuances of Sandra Bullock's performance in this are just incredible to me and I fall in love with her all over again but also with Mara Tierney man I just fall in love so all you're right. so so you're you're having a really hard time comparing yourself to Ben Affleck is that right is that what I'm getting bro <laughs> he's a jacket writer <laughs> so he was a blurb writer and that even too was like 
I don't know if that was as heavy handed as the hurricane, but like him writing blurbs is sort of like, oh, his whole his whole life is is taking these big grand things and distilling them down into teeny weeny little sentences. But it's not that simple. That was another one where like I feel like you could either write a really good paper about this movie or a really terrible paper about this movie and you'd call out the same things. I didn't even pick up on that one. So that I, I feel like that's not nearly as on the nose. Dude, I'm really smart. So, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I was going to say is like that scene in the pool with Sandra Book where she gets kind of crestfallen like that to me was like, well, what do you what do you expect? I mean, this guy's told you he's going to his wife for a wedding. And even though there's been chemistry between you, like, why would you assume that he's going to tell the best man and the maid of honor that, oh, yeah, we're a thing now? My wife said virtually the same thing while we were watching it. She was like, this is she's like. She knows what she did. She doesn't have any right to sit there and be pouty and pissed about it. Right, right. <laughs> but like, that's her character. That's her character. It makes her a little unlikable, I think is the point. Well, what it is, is it's a it's a trope of the character that thinks they can change the other character, whether it's like a broken character. She knew exactly what the, the score was. I mean, from the moment they met, he was like, yeah, I'm going to get married in Savannah to my fiance, who I love very much. And then I'm glad I'm not the only one who, who like didn't feel bad bad for her at that moment. Like, yeah, it sucks to see Sandra Bullock pouting, but at the same time, it's like, what did you expect? Was that before or after she is like, I'm going to take a bath and then, you know, super sexually strips in front of those like glass blocks? That's before. Uh, yeah, that was before. Oh, okay. Okay. That was, no, the pool scene is after because she gets dressed and then goes dancing. And that's where. Wait, I thought yeah. she got, I thought, didn't she get undressed when they're having the fight in the hotel room? Well, that's yeah, when she was. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a poster from a buddy of mine that we went to school with. I was in love with her. Not after I saw Speed, but after I saw Time to Kill. She's just walking around, super raven dark hair and white tank top with that six pack around her finger. And I, I was after that movie, I was like, this, I, I'm in, I, I watched everything with her. And I mean, stuff that nobody's ever seen. Like there's a movie called When the Party's Over. It's awful. I have a poster of Oliver Platt for that same reason. Um, <laughs> his performance I mean, I, Time to Kill. I genuinely had a friend of mine who used to buy like girly magazines. And I would say, Hey, you know, if you find anything of Sandra in there, save it for me. And she would bring it to school, give it to me. And then I would, cause there was a lot of white space on the poster. And I just filled up around Sandra, all these pictures from, from magazines. Wow. I doubt kids do that anymore. No, they just, they, they, they make Pinterest. Follow, they just follow them on Instagram. Kids. <sighs> So, so Stro, you seem to be the one who's most taken with this movie. Why is that? Well, I was thinking about it when you were saying the trope of the character that wants to change somebody. This movie, to me, just seems like it's a real look at relationships and the expectations that come with them and the people that find themselves in them and doubting them and perhaps cheating on them. Like, this movie is a romantic comedy, but it's not, like you were saying, it's not just the whimsical magic in the air, don't worry, there's a happy ending movie. This is real flawed characters. I really love the scene in the hotel room when they're going at each other and just kind of psychoanalyzing each other's flaws and weaknesses, which I feel like they probably would know after spending 48 
hours in close proximity, like just and analyzing the, each other because I feel like both of them, you know, are intrigued by the other. And, and so it kind of gives you that is the grass greener on the other side. And then in the end, you kind of go, no, it's not like there's it's all about the security. Marriage isn't about running away together and the honeymoon phase lasting forever and the happy ever ending. And in 35 years, we're still going to be having sex every Tuesday as raucousy as possible with, you know, three gym beams under our belly. This is just a movie about how when you find the one that you're lucky to find and that you could spend your forever with, you want to grab them because they're where home is. They're your security blanket. They know all your flaws and will accept everything. And it's not all just that fantastic, loving relationship. I think this is one of those movies, one of the only movies out there that kind of explores that, but with a light touch. You know what line makes me think of what exactly what you're talking about? It makes me think of like my wife and I. When he finally approaches her, you know, she's up on the balcony and then she comes down and they're talking. They say hello to each other, but she goes immediately. She she just she's like, forget it. Like my parents are split up. Like she immediately starts filling him in on what he's missed. She's like, and they're driving me crazy. And it's just. In about five minutes, we're supposed to be joined for eternity. And I was wondering um, if you were going to get dressed. Well, if it's eternity, it can wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think technically eternity starts immediately, especially when there's ice sculpture involved. Well, Bridge. The truth is, I'm sorry. This always happens at weddings. <laughs> I'm sorry it took so long to get down here. Something happened. It's okay. I know. Debbie told me, and I told her that it didn't matter because I trusted you. And I knew you wouldn't cheat on me. And then I threw up. But, um, uh, it's, then everything else was going wrong. Everything was going wrong. And my parents are separated. And, and then this guy, Steve. Who Rich, you know, I, I mean, you know what? Like, I don't know why that line is so endearing to me because it's like, that's exactly what my wife and I do. It's like she and I are each other's, we are the last stop for well, each other. So it's like, I mean, you always hear that the best friendships are ones that like you can take a year off or two years off or whatever and then reconnect without missing a beat. And Spro, honestly, I feel like we did that. Like when I was in on the East Coast for however long I was there, we graduated college, we kept in touch, then we, you know, just sort of faded away. And then I don't remember the specifics, but we picked back up right where we left off after several years. And I feel like that element of Ben Affleck and what's her name, Maura Tierney's relationship was very natural. And that that's why it made the resolution feel so right. Agree. That was a very low key reunion, all things considered. There was a hurricane, there was a big fancy wedding, but their their reunion was very intimate rather than flamboyant and showy and, you know, swelling horns and music and a kiss in the rain and all that. It was just two people who were comfortable around each other and who made sense to each other when they were together. And give me that movie. That's the thing that I'm here for. Don't give me everything that I've seen in Hollywood before. Don't give me the running slowly across a field and jumping into each other's arms or the the dramatic, you know, breakup cry scene where, you know, Maura Tierney is left alone in the rain to deal with the storm herself. 
because she cheated with the guy in the bed and Ben Affleck found somebody oh, yeah. on the road home. Like, Let's, um, who was that guy again? Let's we're heading toward the end now. We haven't even talked about that guy. What a chotch that guy was like bad news about that. The actor, David Strickland, um, ended up actually committing suicide 12 days after the movie was released. Um, I want to kind of yeah, I want to kind of do a service, though, because. When it happened, there was this huge rumor going around as Hollywood does or as the media does and just looking for the biggest story and saying that a lot of his part was on the cutting room floor. And that was the story they went with. And that's actually what I remember from this. And when we were going back to the movie, and I'm glad that I did some research because that wasn't necessarily the case. He was out drinking with a bunch of his buddies, one of them being Andy Dick, checked himself into a motel room in Las Vegas. He was having issues with the court system. He was about to go to court the next day for a cocaine charge, dealt with a suffered from bipolar disorder his whole life and ended up committing suicide that night in Vegas. His girlfriend at the time was Tiffany Amber Thiessen or Tiffany Thiessen. He was a man suffering from a mental disorder, and it might have nothing to do with his part in Forces of Nature. But that's the story that the media ran with. And I think that's an explanation, but you will never know, I don't think. I mean, kudos to you for diving deep uh, into that narrative. That's clearly a tragic story, but this movie had been off my radar, you know, until a couple days ago. So um, I didn't, was he in anything else? Like, would I know him from anything else? He was in a lot of TV. He did Mad About You, Suddenly Susan, Sister, Sister. Of course, the media was like, the forces of nature was going to be his breakout. You never know that for sure. And obviously it wasn't going to be because this movie had a $75 million budget and only brought in 93.9 at the box office. What the hell did they spend $75 million on? in this movie. I think, you know what? Like back in the day, these effects weren't cheap. I guess guess that's true. In 1999, it was hard to make a hurricane. You got Ben Affleck coming off of his Armageddon. You know, you got Sandra Bullock. This is... Two years after Speed 2. So for Ben Affleck, this is two years after him winning an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, one year after Armageddon getting his new set of teeth, also being in the best picture of Shakespeare in Love, one year before our first show of Boiler Room. And Dogma, I want to say, is his graduation from the Kevin Smith movies. So, I mean, like these are two of like the hottest stars, really. Can we talk about how painfully late 90s this was before we we close out? Because you made mention of that at the beginning. Yeah. I was watching it. It's just like it was reminding me of the first season of Sopranos. It's like shitty rock and pop. Junko jeans, you know, the soundtrack from this movie, the one song that pops out is the low fidelity all stars, the battle flag. I said all that um, all that shit you just did, I'm gonna make my ringtone for the next month. <laughs> the wardrobe, Sandra's like Spice Girl wind pants when right, she does yeah. the like kicks him in, in Kmart, the like innocent but corny, like screaming at the world scene, which Zach Braff then recycled for Garden State. You brought up Y2K, but it makes me think of pre and post 9-11. I think 9-11 really bifurcates my life as an American. And when you look at some of the movies pre-9-11, there's this like, it's almost this gross innocence. <laughs> it's just like, didn't America wasn't quite 
quite, I don't know, America didn't quite know it was about to like be thrown into the carriage of this vicious and never ending roller coaster of social, political and economic terror. And, you know, I'm not discounting that there was cynicism. I mean, there's even cynicism in this movie. We talked about it. And there was cynicism alive at the end of the 20th century. But this movie ends really sweetly. And there were there weren't a whole lot of movies like Alexander Payne's Election or Spike Jones and Kaufman's being John Malkovich, which both came out this year. Most of what we got was like Forces of Nature. I mean, even Matrix, the most cynical of the major releases of 99, ends with Neo getting shot enough to kill like, I mean, he gets shot a billion times and then comes back to life. Why? Because Trinity loves him. That's why. Because he's loved. I it just, I, I don't know, man. It's, it, when I look backwards and I look on the other side of 9-11 and I see movies like this or You've Got Mail. It's, I mean, You've Got Mail is my poster child for like, we were so complacent. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying we needed 9-11 to shake us out of complacency, but the art that was occurring, particularly film prior to September 11th, really changed afterwards. Well, you, you just brought this podcast down. <laughs> Sorry. To a serious level. I mean, we were talking at the beginning, we were talking about Steve Zahn and how awesome he is. And now it's like, you're not wrong. I mean, all the superficial things, the wardrobe, the music, some of the dialogue and stuff like that. Very of the 90s. And I don't say that as a bad thing. I love the 90s. I love 1999. 1999 was a fucking awesome year. Um, I like the early 90s. The early 90s were great, too. The whole 90s were great. The whole 90s were fantastic. This movie is, I feel like it's almost too sophisticated a story to be told through such a focused 90s lens. So you want to remake? Who would you cast it with? If I was going to remake this movie, who would I cast as the leads? Yes. Steve Martin, John Candy. Well, I would honestly just put Ben Affleck back in. We talked about this the other day. Remember how we did our Michael Bay trilogy because basically we thought Michael Bay doesn't get the respect he deserves? I submit that the season two capper would be a similar episode for Ben Affleck. What about Michael, Sarah, and Kara Delvignuganuganuga? I don't know what how to say her last name. You could go see that movie, but I would not. Really? Absolutely. Oh, I like Kara. I like that movie she was in. It's like the thousand planets of... Actually, what you're talking about is Valerian, which... I go. saw in the theater and I do not remember a thing about it. It was as if I didn't fall asleep. I went in, sat down, two hours passed, the movie was over, and I had no idea what happened. So either it was a time loop or something like that, or I got sucked into a wormhole. I really liked the first half of that movie. I've seen that movie, but but I could not tell you a thing about the two hours I spent doing so. I always thought that there was this one one perfect person for everybody in the world, you know? And when you found that person, uh the rest of the world just kind of magically faded away and and you know the two of you would just be inside this kind of protective bubble but there is no bubble i mean or or if there is we have to make it i just think i think life is more than a than a series of moments you know it's it's we can make choices and 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 we can we can choose to protect the people we love and that's what makes us who we are and those are the real miracles stop me when it just becomes glaringly obvious that I have no idea what I'm talking about. I know. About. I know what you're talking about. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
Bro, this was your baby. Why don't you take us out? So this is a crossover episode because there is a new podcast being birthed on Monday, August 31st. And the reason why we have Lee Charles on this episode is because we came up with Spro and Lee take on the Academy where we, exactly as the title says, we look at films that perhaps were snubbed by the Academy Awards or certain performances. And we dissect the year in film that those premiered. And then we we right the wrong. We take the Academy away from the person and we give it to the, the rightful winner. So if you like Second Chance Cinema, you like the vibe, then we urge you to go subscribe to that show. I'm super duper happy to A, be on the show and be a, a little tributary from the main vein that is... Uh, Second chance cinema. You're you don't give yourself enough credit. You're at least a you're a Delta at least. Or, uh, you know, um, full uh, of a, detritus. You're you're like an Isthmus, I think. <laughs> um. So, all right. So that's gonna do it. This is Forces of Nature on Second Chance Cinema. Stay tuned after for how you can get at us on social media. Lee, Mr. Charles, we want to thank you as always for being a valued guest and a contributor to our discussion and. Everyone else, thanks for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Peace. I said hallelujah to the 16th royal fans. You're getting down on your motherfucking knees. And it's time for you figures again. Come on and tell me what you need now. Tell me what is making you bleed. We got a two-moment and we're going to cut to what you need. Special thanks to Lee Charles for joining us on this episode. Forces of Nature was produced by Roth Arnold Productions. It was distributed by DreamWorks Entertainment. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is Battle Flag by Low Fidelity All-Stars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at secondchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now, the moment some of you have been waiting for. As soon as the music ends, the trailer for the new show, Spro and Me Take on the Academy, will begin. Have a fantastic day. there my name is lee charles and i'm spro and we're two mediocre dudes who made a podcast to add to the already eighty thousand podcasts in existence <laughs> it's a podcast for people who love movies like us and people who love the academy awards well mm, i don't really love the academy awards <laughs> oh no I, I i thought that's what we were to be fair i used to love the academy awards but the academy has a serious history of King up. Ooh, Lee, don't cuss in the trailer. Oh, my fault. Well, anyway, our show, Spro and Lee, take on the Academy, takes Oscars away from some films and filmmakers we feel didn't truly deserve them, and awards the statues to those who we think did. It's that simple. And for our first season of Spro and Lee take on the Academy, we overturn some of the Academy's most famous blunders like 1998's Shakespeare in Love and 2010's The King's Speech. 
But we also attack a few audience favorites to challenge you, like Pixar's beloved Up. Oh yes, we're gonna tell you why Up is one great 12 minute montage followed by 80 minutes of a train wreck film you barely remember. We'll drop a little knowledge about the inner workings of the Academy Awards and even give lip service to movies or artists that didn't even garner a single nomination. And God we're going to have a good time doing it. Season one begins Monday, August 31st, and new episodes will be released every two weeks until the end of this horror show called 2020. So look for Spro and Lee take on the Academy on Apple Podcasts starting Monday, August 31st. In the meantime, you can find us and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spro and Lee, all one word, or email us at takeontheacademy gmail.com and now we hope to see you dear listeners sitting front row when the envelopes are red and until then stream on